Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. On today's show, we'll be talking about social entrepreneurship and this is a very interesting area. So if I look at Wikipedia, social entrepreneurship is defined as the attempt to draw upon business techniques to try and find a solution to a social problem. So essentially, if you're trying to start a company or a business, which for all practical purposes runs as a regular business, but its mission is to solve a social problem, then that would qualify you as a social enterprise. And generally speaking, while a regular business assesses its performance on the basis of just profits, a social enterprise would not only assess its performance on the basis of profits, but it would also look at the social impact that it has created in society. So, to help us understand this area, our guest on today's show is Anuj Kulkarni and he has started a company called Prajwal Bharat in India. Prajwal Bharat is a term in Hindi and Hindi is the national language of India and it translates into English as Light Up India. This company has a very cool mission. What they want to do is that they want to provide lighting infrastructure across India. And this is a very, very important problem to solve. If any of you have traveled to developing countries, such as India or even elsewhere, you may have noticed that in many areas in this in these countries, there just isn't adequate lighting available. Uh, especially if you travel outside of big cities, like in the villages or sometimes even in tier 2 cities, there isn't adequate lighting available. And this, of course, has a lot of impact on everyone. Uh, this has implications for people's safety, it can lead to accidents. It has an impact on productivity. If there are no lights, then after dark, businesses cannot operate, shops cannot stay open, people cannot move around. And so, of course, this is a very important problem to solve. And Prajwal Bharat has had a tremendous impact in the space over the four years since it's been operational. They've been able to light up more than 600 villages and more than 20 cities across three states in India. And during this process, they've also managed to make more than a million dollars in revenue. So a very inspiring story. Before I get into the discussion with Anuj, I'd like to play a short one minute clip from their corporate introduction video where you can hear the founders talking about what is Prajwal Bharat and the kind of impact that it's having. Basically what we do is very simple. Prajwal Bharat installs and maintains advertising and CSR funded streetlights. Prajwal Bharat means light up India. Launching in rural India was the boldest move for Prajwal Bharat. shifted locations. Shops started remaining open after hours. Vegetable market, which earlier used to be open only till 7 in the evening, now started remaining open till 8-8-30-9 We had Tata Motors, a local jewelry company, a community radio station, and an FMCG company placed their advertisements in, in, the, in our first village. So, as you saw, a very, very inspiring story. The person, in, for example, that you heard in the, in the audio who was speaking in a local language was actually talking about how he's now able to open his shop till late and he's also able to create cricket with his friends. So, of course, as you can see, everyone is benefiting in a number of different ways. Anyway, so now let's get into the discussion with Anuj. Uh, just a few quick lines on him. He is, of course, the co-founder of Prajwal Bharat. He has a background in electrical and electronics engineering from University of Mumbai. 
uh, I think today's discussion is a very inspiring discussion. Anut shares a lot of stories, which I think you'll find very interesting. And this should be very helpful for anyone who's looking to start a company. And of course, anyone who's looking to start a company with a social impact angle to it. So I hope you find today's discussion helpful. And without further ado, let's welcome Anut to the show. Hey Anuj, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Uh, hi Sonali, thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely man. I mean, I am so impressed. I, I knew that Prajwal Bharat is doing very well. But uh, as I started preparing for the podcast, that's when I realized that it's so impressive what you've done. You've really created a huge impact. So congratulations. I hope you're proud of yourself. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a lot of uh, effort across the team. Uh, and the company we've built so far. Uh, we are about 25 odd uh, people. So I would uh, always want to give credit to every single uh, person in our team. So no, absolutely. thank you so much for your appreciation. No, how does it feel? I mean, it's it's been four years now, right? It has been four years as of December of uh, 2015. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so very excited to hear about how you went about the whole thing. Um, why don't we start out with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far? I guess uh, a lot of the background you've already highlighted. Uh, my story uh, with or my you know relationship with entrepreneurship and you know social entrepreneurship in particular uh, begins quite uh, from my school days. I, I was always really, really passionate about doing something in the impact space. And when I got a degree in electronics engineering, I thought, you know, I could use technology to solve some problem that is facing uh, in a day-to-day life. With my experience at Wharton, uh, that's that's really what, you know, changed things drastically. Uh, when I came to University of Pennsylvania, it allowed me to kind of step away from it and look at it from a very different angle. Every single problem which used to annoy me about India was an opportunity Quite a few accidents in my circle had been bothering me, accidents which uh, stemmed from the fact that there were no streetlights on the roads. And it's not just bad roads that you're navigating, you know, you're navigating cows sitting in right in the middle of the road, <laughs> yeah, uh, stray dogs without proper footpaths, the people crossing over. And all of that you have to navigate. You really need good light to see yeah. who's uh, in the way, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, and so many accidents keep on uh, happening it really was of some concern and for my management education i really thought this is one problem which just efficient and proper management can solve should mm-hmm. there be a company operating in the space and that's kind of uh, what led me into thinking about prajwal bharat as an idea street lighting as an opportunity uh, and not just a problem to crib about yeah uh, so one of the things that we did early on uh, when i took a few entrepreneurship classes at Wharton is develop the entire idea, think more about the marketplace. And uh, that's kind of where the genesis of the whole thing. I see. I see. So you so you sort of came up with the idea pretty much when you were in business school. I did. Uh, it was somewhere in the mind lurking around. But it's actually funny how these things come up. And you know, maybe it, it's not a bad idea to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Because so many so many uh, entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs, uh, they're always looking for an inspiration. I mean, just the other day when I was speaking with uh, a classmate of mine, you know, he said, you know, hey, I, I, if I'll get a really, really exciting idea, I'll just, you know, quit my job <laughs> and go do it. Uh-huh. And that's not true. You know, you'll always keep on hearing great ideas, but... It's very hard for an idea to make sense, right? For me, what happened was I'll give give an example, and then you know I come to my my understanding of it. Uh-huh. I took a class uh, to Patrick Fitzgerald um, in management eight to six. The prerequisite of the class was that you have to have an idea and you have to be beyond the idea stage. The class really helps you into implementing it and running the business in the first few months. That's what the class is all about, right? And while I really wanted to get into the class, I didn't have an idea in place, just like everybody else. (laughs) But, you know, know, as a Taipei Wharton student, I sort of bluffed my way into it. And then (laughs) 
I remember I was sitting there at midnight on a Sunday, getting ready for this 9 a.m. class, thinking, you know, what should I really, you know, put uh, on my PowerPoint slides that my bluff is not caught, right? <laughs> and then I go back to this list of ideas that I have, and I see streetlights there, and and then you know it it just fell into place. It, it took me an hour or so to come up with an entire. plan and i put it on the powerpoint slide right so so everybody who's out there thinking hey i just need a really an exciting idea and they're looking for an inspiration i would say stop looking for an inspiration look for a deadline instead man that that that's an amazing story because so you pretty much you had this entrepreneurship class that you really wanted to get into and your idea which is now prajwal bharat was the way to just get into that class but then you once you were in the class it just became bigger and bigger and bigger right yeah what at what point like walk us through that process right so initially it was just this idea on a slide which you used to get into the class and luckily you were able to get into the class walk us through the process of how you went from that idea on a slide to finally taking the decision to actually leave business school if if i'm correct you left business school in between right so you left business school to work on this full time so walk us through your yes. thought process so first you delve more on the, deeper into the problem why does the problem exist in the first place right so in in this case street lights is supposed to be a responsibility of the government why is the government not putting out it putting the street lights right so uh, one of the things which came up was you know they don't have enough finances or enough budgeting or even prioritization in the budget for street lights right so then we started to think about you know whether we could get additional resources or additional sources of uh, revenue out here into the street lighting world right so for example what prajwal bharat did in its early stage is we sold advertisements on those street lighting poles to help put it out right so it's first delve further into the problem and then you know you kind of go from that stage to assessing what the market is like because for you to run a business or have a value addition uh, addition going on you need to have a combination of the right people you need to have it this it's it's very practical in that way right you need a service team to begin with so whatever the customer sort of requires you in fact for many people the real problem is identifying the customer to begin with right is the customer the person who you are solving the problem for so in my case is it the people who is getting the light or is it the person who is putting those <laughs> ads yeah, on the website yeah, right? so is it the person who is sponsoring those street lights so who is the real customer out here and that is one of the biggest problems that people grapple with uh, yeah. because your entire approach at least in the startup stage uh, is driven by who you pick as your customer so all of these things sort of contributes towards building a business plan you know you have these elements in place and then you sort of put a put a timeline to it saying that you know in the next 6 to 8 months this is what i need this is what i'll develop because the truth in business is the time factor hmm. you have to you know keep on working on it for a few months and then by that time maybe the market conditions have changed right uh, so for example in our case by the time i was there on the ground building the business the government itself was undergoing huge changes so oh, there were there were the resources which were available even for the government employees were much better by the time i was there on the ground and that was not what we had factored in before right but what really helped me was a set of tool a set of framework going into the business going on onto the ground and building it from ground up so from the idea stage you sort of build this business plan which has these small components throughout and you connect them together and those are your sets of you know tools when you go out in the field right so just a quick clarification right so correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds like before you actually quit business school to work on this full time you actually conducted a couple of tests even while you were in school is that right were you just building on that the plan right. at that time yeah so i i think anuj it'll be interesting to understand how did you decide what kind of tests you wanted to conduct before you actually decided to jump into this full time uh, that's a really good question nasanali because a few things in fact the really important thing that most entrepreneurs would try and understand is how do you price your product to begin with right so for that you know what you would typically do is you would assess the market data so a lot of those resources which were available at wharton and through my own network we had people go down on the street and get that data out for us saying that you know let's say take a gram panchayat 
right a village with a gram panchayat what does uh, the gram panchayat buy a light for today how many lights do they buy in a, a yearly cycle what are the drivers for that decision how do these decisions you know take place in the government to begin with right is there general body meeting how many people are involved in that meeting because for me it was also understanding about being a b2g business it was understanding about how decisions are made at my customer level for me to do this so right. all of this data yeah. was very crucial for me to understand to get it down on paper before i go back uh, uh, go on the field and implement it so a lot of these basic market research data points on how to price a product what is the competition like uh, assessing the resources available to you at that level are the key things which i would look to get data with me before i enter into the market right so just a quick clarification on some of the terms that you used one is b2g so b2g is i'm guessing business to government that is right 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 okay and then uh, i think for listeners who might not be familiar uh, what is gram panchayat gram panchayat is a local government body for a village about you would say about a population of 15000 or less okay so then uh, so just a quick follow up question which is that uh, so you conducted a bunch of these market research tests right and you were trying to gather some data points what was the key sort of what would have been those key questions whose answers would have determined for you okay now i think i'm ready to move on like what were the key things if you were to enumerate them so the, the basic question that you start off with is that is there a need is there a reason for you to exist as a business in this space that is the one and the most important question that you should answer if you are for example you know everything from developing an app or in my case putting out lights hmm. does your government need a company to put out lights if so are you going to be that company and if the answer is yes then that is the time that you should just go there and do it okay. so that is the one question that i would want to answer before getting in i see okay and then how many villages did you speak with before you actually went into the field we did a sample size of about 100 villages i see okay and this which, was true yeah. okay Okay that's very cool and I I and it sounds like being in business school helped a lot because Wharton provided a bunch of resources which you could use. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right so I think at this point it'll be helpful if you can describe in your own words how would you describe a social uh, or rather a social enterprise. A social enterprise is really any business. I think the first misconception which people end up doing is that Uh, they kind of mix up non-profits with social enterprises right yeah, social yeah, right. Entre- enterprises are by definition for profit entities the goal is to make profits right yeah. at the same time you so it it ranges as far as the definition is concerned from person to person on the ground so for example if you make money or if you have a for profit business operating in at the bottom of the pyramid and let's say because your target population in that business is earning you know 2 and 1/2 uh, dollars per day mm-hmm. that is your target population now just because you are servicing in at the bottom of the pyramid you become a social enterprise right i'm going to flip this around and say what if you are just selling tobacco or cigarettes right, right. then does that count as social enterprise <laughs> that's a great and point and then the answer would answer would be no right so it it definition of social enterprise has a variety of these issues involved you know who the customer is what is the social impact how is the social impact measured if your enterprise sort of answers a variety of these questions then you sort of end up saying that okay this is a social enterprise so in our case for example our customer was a local gram panchayat with a population of less than 15000 Mm-hmm. right who don't have a service provider coming down to their village and putting out those lights right our social impact was measured in the number of lights put out in the crime rate reduction in the reduction in the number of accidents and the actual kilowatt hours of energy saved that is the social social oh, impact metric that we used to look up to right very interesting Okay. That metric was tied in well with profits, right? The more number of lights we put out, the more energy we save, 
and that is also tied in with our revenue because the more lights we are putting out our revenue increases so that is when an entrepreneur like me would align the goals in a similar way that my financial impact is also creating a social impact right. no, and uh, i hope that uh, sort of uh, gives you a decent overview of how social entrepreneurship is like no i i think this is a this is a great great point because you're right that a lot of people tend to think of social enterprise very similar to an ngo or a charity and that's completely not the case it's just aligning our profits with a positive social goal so uh, that's a great clarification can you also spend a few, uh, like a few minutes talking about what prajwal bharat does so i think we understand the basic idea but in your own words what does prajwal bharat do and also like i think it'll be also Pra- nice to hear i've heard that a lot of entrepreneurs the idea that they start out with tends to evolve a lot as they spend time working on it so if there's been an evolution in the overall mission that'll be interesting to hear too it is i mean uh, that's a great point right uh, because you what what an entrepreneur should be able to do is pivot the business or change it if not pivot uh, as far as possible to cater to what he learns on the ground when he's building it so prajwal bharat we essentially put out energy efficient street lights for rural india i mean that's the one liner i would say that sort of captures the entire idea what we do unlike say say you know a philips or a general electric who also manufactured those lights is we offer a f- complete turnkey solution so street lights is not just bulbs right it is those brackets poles wires cabling you need to have an right. entire electrical wireman network to begin with right so all of those as a promise to our customer which is the government representing the people so if the government needs street lights what it used to do was buy a bulb from a dealer of philips and then buy a pole from somebody else employ some local contractor who would then put it out and then have a fourth guy for the maintenance all of my customers right now don't have to worry about any of those aspects they just you know contact us and we do everything from start to end and then service those lights for the next 5 years as well so for them it's a big pain point solved so that's uh, kind of how the venture is what we did not factor in before i i, I tell you how the business has evolved from the beginning right mm-hmm. we for example decided to fund these street lights through csr or corporate social responsibility money which we thought would be an easy access to as far as the social enterprise is concerned and we had to on the way pivot it to make it only an additional revenue source and we had ah, a demand from the customer saying that you know we want these lights there is a need and we are willing to pay for it so a, a lot of the focus was then actually shifted into making the product even better this is the seventh or uh, actually eighth eighth iteration that we are putting out <laughs> really? it's a very reliable product and it is really catered towards uh, solving the problem that my customer is pre- presenting in front of me so uh, there's an evolution of what you go in uh, with you know in terms of assumptions are and then if any of those assumptions is wrong you should actually be very quick and agile and change the business model to cater to it Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, when you pivoted your company, that was on the basis of customer feedback. Exactly. Okay. Okay. All right. This is extremely helpful. Tell me a little bit about this. I mean, if you were to talk to someone who is interested in starting a company and they want to learn about the pros and cons of starting like a regular business as opposed to a social venture, how would you help them think about it? What are the pros and cons? So, uh, let me speak about the pros first. Hmm. Um one really interesting or quick win with with the social enterprises is that disruption is available at fingertips hmm. you don't need to suddenly start thinking about oh how do i come up with x you know way of technology innovation which is going to really disrupt the market no the very fact that you are going in and doing this or giving this service to a particular sector is disruption itself the, that market didn't exist before you went in right so that's one quick win because the need the problem is already available there instead of you trying to just come up with a problem and saying that hey you know 
there are so many businesses servicing in a particular way i'm going to do it a little differently <laughs> and for that i'm going to build a product right uh-huh. it's a big challenge for you to do it in a regular fashion in a market which is already overcrowded uh-huh. that actually builds back to uh, something which is what i guess a social entrepreneur would do which is bootstrapping you'll become cash flow positive much sooner than in a regular business oh, really? now this is sort of counterintuitive to the thing yeah so uh, the reason it is counterintuitive is because again this notion that a social enterprise is doing something that a non-profit would do which is not about the money whereas a social enterprise is actually solving a problem and because need exists directly usually and more often than not the cash flow is very key and it comes in immediately hmm. so a uh, point. this yeah. a social enterprise for example is when i talk about the con is therefore not as attractive for many venture capital firms because there are no ways that you can get a 10x multiple on a social enterprise in 3 to 5 years right a social enterprise has to be there around doing what they are doing for a long lot of time for a long amount of time for it to really get the scale and reach that you want to now there are of course exceptions to all of these rules right uh, just as there are exceptions to most of the things in the world but for for you know far and by uh, this is what would be a comparison between a regular business I and see. a social enterprise so, now the other con which i do want to talk about is the risk factor so uh, many people uh, as far as entrepreneurship is concerned talk about risk right the understanding of risk is quite fuzzy i would say in my opinion the risk boils down to just two things one is physical physical risk and the other is financial risk what do i mean by physical risk is for example if an entrepreneur is going in a war zone to do business he is actually risking his own life mm-hmm. it's physical risk he has to go down there himself yeah. which is what happens in most social enterprises right you are going down in a village in a condition maybe there is there is some kind of an andres going on over there which which happens a lot oh can you so actually is, I'm, i'll ask you once you're done but i would love to hear if if you have any stories to share in terms of the kind of experiences you had but let's get to it carry on with the risks first but let's get to it later oh, sure. why don't sure, you sure, first sure, share sure. the risks sure sure yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course of course i'd be i'd be happy to yeah. um so first is the physical risk and the second is the financial risk and financial risk is more or less common with both businesses unlike a technology business where you would you would gain by focusing on fundraising in a social enterprise you would rather just build the business and not worry about fundraising to begin with yeah yeah so these are these are exceptional points and i think you know i i wasn't aware of them at all so thank you so much for sharing these just a quick follow up on the point that you made about how a lot of venture capitalists are not interested in social enterprise so if i understand you correctly what you're saying is that it takes a longer period of time for a social enterprise to make the kind of return a vc is interested in is is that the right understanding it is the right understanding as far as the general conception is concerned now if any impact investor or uh, anybody who is invested in social enterprises hears this podcasts <laughs> he would actually counter me immediately oh really what saying would he that, say that you know hey my company actually has got me an irr of 60% Okay. So you're saying it's more of a perception problem than what's the reality. The uh, that is partly true. The other problem over there is most VCs would say that they don't understand the space well, right? So what what it really means is let's say you are a VC firm, you are generally, you know, responsible with the money that you're taking from your limited partners that you have to return it, uh, to them you have to give them a multiple on that right now you look for some kind of a history when you're building your own portfolio so uh, let's say it's a is a technology industry now there have been exits in these industry hmm. and therefore you are you're comfortable with taking on more companies with the assumption because if a technology already has a track record of giving a good multiple there's a good chance that you know Yeah. you will get that multiple again right unfortunately with the social impact industry there is no such great track record uh, so okay. it, it it is it is challenging and which is why many social impact investment firms are themselves non profits because they work on oh, mandates really? rather than multiples oh interesting um, 
Oh, that that that's a very good point. So basically, it's it's just more about I I I guess what you're saying is that this is just a very nascent area. Then not many people know about it. Not many people know how it works. So in turn, people don't know how to invest in it. And there is exactly yeah. exactly. And I and I, th- and I think in the next decade or two, big numbers are going to come from the impact industry. I, so yeah, it, the yeah. industry has been you know developing. There's a lot of innovation going on on the ground. there are so many people to be taken out of poverty that is a big mandate for many impact investment firms yeah and that is driving a lot of focus investor money in these areas where they are saying that you know hey let's not just look about the multiples let's also think about what we are solving and what kind of impact we are creating and that is the change in outlook which is happening right now so i think uh, you know in the next decade or two we'll see a lot more activity going on in these spaces and hopefully multiples uh, will come through oh that's amazing so i mean what markets come to mind in terms of how mature they are what are some of the most fertile grounds so to say if you were to start a social enterprise most innovation is happening in the financial technology sector mm-hmm. so microfinance for example has a decent history and a proven track record of creating a good impact right so in the social impact se- uh, sector the most well known companies and investors operate in this space because that is sort of a key point for most people who are at the bottom of the pyramid they don't have access to finance right so micro lending even services like insurance to people who are earning you know less than 2 dollars a day uh, that is something uh-huh. yeah. which is an area which is most fertile per se in the social impact sector interesting interesting okay okay and then just for the people who might not be familiar maybe you can just like one or two line description of what is microfinance and micro lending so microfinance micro lending is small loans which may be person to person or institution to institution which have a size of say anywhere between 5000 rupees to 50000 rupees you can translate it in terms of dollar terms uh, yeah it's about a thousand dollars right it's a little less than thousand dollars yes yeah okay the the upper limit is little less than thousand dollars okay right right and so typically interest rates hover around you know 12 to 15% in microfinance the interest rates are higher they are about 20 to 22% but the returns have been really promising in the industry history which is one of the reasons why it is a better place to be in as far as in, uh, an impact investment firm or an uh, or a social enterprise is concerned so that makes sense yeah. okay and so i think you touched upon this a little bit right so it it sounds like you started out as a completely bootstrapped firm and then so yes. then yeah so then were you completely self funded then throughout yes we, we are till date bootstrapped wow okay so you were using your own money uh, and then of course whatever money the company itself was generating exactly exactly okay i mean did you ever try to raise funds we had a first investor call in 2012 that was about Three months after we started out, mm-hmm. uh, since then we've been speaking with, we've spoken with about ten odd VC firms. Um, so the key point over here is, like I said before, to raise institutional capital or outside money, a social enterprise needs to be operating at a certain level. Because one of the things which is going to happen once you raise an institutional capital is your objective is going to shift very fast from profitability over to growth right and your business should have structures systems and processes to handle that growth if it doesn't have those, that growth then it's going to be very impossible and it is a downward spiral yeah yeah so india has actually seen a lot of these even non social enterprises so traditional enterprises really falling apart because the focus was so much on the growth that the entrepreneurs never had a time to build the business from ground up mm-hmm. you can't make that mistake in a social uh, as a social enterprise i see i see okay okay no i mean i i'm just digesting all the information i'm sorry if i'm a little slow because uh, i i think this is an area that i guess i just didn't know at all about so it's just good information right. uh but uh, l- let's let's go into a little bit of your journey now uh in terms of um, you know once you actually started working on prajwal bharat what were the key highlights so t- tell me first just a quick this thing 
when you were in business school, I, I know you mentioned that you were working on a little bit of just gathering a lot of market data to make sure that there's a need for Prajwal Bharat and you could do it. Right. How did you put together your team for Prajwal Bharat? And, and also, uh, if you can touch upon, given the nature of your company, right, it's a social enterprise. What were the key skill sets you were looking for when you were forming your company? It, it, it was actually quite uh, interesting and ironic. Uh, I dropped out of uh, school and one of the strong hiring policies that we had was we hired only dropouts. So. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. Why? <laughs> that's because you were a dropout? <laughs> <laughs> so I started out uh, pretty much alone, right? So I went back to India in December 2011 and we put out our first light in August. So most part of the eight months I was basically, you know, in my car, just traveling across the country. So it, it, it was it was a tough journey in that sense, because there was not necessarily a hotel to stay in. So, you know, I had to sleep in my car at times. Um, wow. And the, the entire excitement and the thrill was to be on the ground and sourcing those leads that you want to do. And, you know, it was just, you know, going across your Rolodex, seeing, you know, if you're getting those meetings and then meeting the customers at the same time, understanding where you can begin all of this. And it was, it was quite interesting. The first sale per se happened where the customer was calling me and saying, you know, hey, you know, we are going to put out lights and we heard that you are a supplier and uh, what, what, what would you like to do because we would want to do it in one week and to mm-hmm. me that was a great sigh of relief because in a b2g or even in a, in a b2b business the sales cycle is so slow mm. it, it may take up to one year to just get something out on the ground and that was when it really clicked when i said that you have to pivot for your customer it, it is at these pain points if an entrepreneur is, is able to figure out these exact pain points then the business is going to really get it itself off the ground right so we in fact put out our first uh, light i bought it at uh, 2500 rupees and sold it at 800 rupees uh, oh, this wow. was okay. not planned but yeah. uh, it was more of the based on the fact that you know hey uh, we would love to give you free lights but should you be willing to pay something for them right then what would it be and they said you know they would be willing to pay 800 rupees for those nights um so the of course the assumption was that there was we would make up for the rest of the cost by putting ads on the street lights yeah uh and we did get about four odd advertisers then and now uh, it's interesting even during my first sale i was just one guy and maybe one or two interns who would would agree to help remotely which was not much of a value addition anyway, right? But what happened was a local newspaper covered our first lights and within a month, I had calls from about 50-odd uh, Grampan chats saying, you know, hey, we, we saw that light, we love it, we want it, right? And that uh, from August through December of 2012, apart from the Grampan chats, I also got calls from a number of people from a variety of ages, right? People who are 15-year-olds to 45-year-olds. And this is where I would sort of say the real satisfaction or Mm. the role of an entrepreneur comes in, right? Because this is a leadership and inspiration that an entrepreneur has to live up to. It is your leadership, your inspiration, your initiative, which is going to get you the, you know, the best hires to begin with, yeah. right? So people who are 45 year olds came to me saying that, you know, hey, I've earned a lot of money in my life. I want to go back to my town and I want to do something which I feel really good about. I read about you. I would really like to work with you. Oh, now, that's the okay. kind of guy you would hire, ah, right? Okay. And our, our entire business, every single decision was driven from this side. My employees built the company. I didn't do it. They came in, they said, you know, we can do it this way. And I said, that sounds pretty cool. Let's do it. Let's try it out. Right. And from then onwards, we developed this entire strategy. A lot of the time when people have this uh, problem, right, I'm going to touch upon a different area, which is they think that idea is very unique to them. Mm. It is it is, the, it is the proprietary thing, right? I, I, I don't believe in that, that you know, if, if you think your idea is cool, there's a very good chance that somebody else is already doing it. It's already in the market, yeah. as is your entire strategy, right? So what is really proprietary to a business, right, 
it's you it's the entrepreneur it mm. is your initiative it's your inspiration it is your desperation that really is proprietary to you <laughs> what you would do with these three uh, sets of qualities is what nobody else can and so when it, when we sort of came to this point where our first few sales were because of a certain amount of desperation we thought you know that there was something that we could just pick up and try to source those candidates right mm. so we in fact exclusively hired people who had zero experience in the lighting industry which is very counterintuitive people would rather want somebody who has been in the industry who has certain amount of education we didn't do that we in fact found out that people who were dropouts and who had that thirst of learning and that need to prove themselves mm. were at least five times better <laughs> at marketing a product than somebody with a degree right. and and that just went on into every single of our hiring strategies mm. my uh, co-founder also joined me in those few months that's how you keep on getting Uh, people right so your leadership and inspiration is what is going to get you your partner your next best hire right yeah. so that's yeah. that's how i would put it and this you should become a motivational speaker anuj really <laughs> after all this but okay so let me make sure that i got the got the journey part right right that so in the beginning when you left you were alone literally all alone and you were driving around in your car traveling through villages so you were literally sort of going from village to village talking to gram panchayats and trying to understand if any of them would be interested in uh, what you had to offer uh yes and no it was not just gram panchayats i basically you know was speaking to everybody and anybody who was willing to speak to me it was literally as simple as that you know i would be meeting somebody i would give them my card tell them what i'm doing most probably you know they felt it was really interesting and the conversation would end with that hmm. and then a week later i would get a call from them saying that hey you know what i'm just keep with this guy and i think you guys should just like connect it was it was the basic that simple thing which i did for 8 months without getting tired or bored of it from one conversation from one meeting to other another from one conference to another conference and then of course it used to be occasionally going back to the customer seeing pitching the, that idea that same customer came back to me a year later it was slow but a year later the same customer came back to me saying that you know hey a year ago you were there now we have the budget now we have we want to do business right. with you why don't you come over right. but because it is a slow sort of cycle what i'm uh, saying over here will be very applicable to a b2b or a b2g sale uh, may not be the same as b2c but that's essentially what the experience is about i mean you have to be there and keep on doing it and you kind of will figure out a way to make your first moves yeah yeah there yeah and can you also talk a little bit about your business model from what i can understand you were charging the customer some amount of money but then there's also the csr aspect to it right so can you talk a little bit about that so we Sure, sure. So CSR is right now not a, an integral part of the business model. Companies who are willing to, who wish to sponsor streetlights in whichever region that they want to, they just contact us and we deliver the service, uh, which is an entire streetlight product with a five-year warranty from start to end, with maintenance team. Everything is on us. It is not as part of the business model per se. The business model really is where we sign a contract with every single local gram panchayat who wants these street lights, and there is a contractual value which is we charge a fixed fee per light, and we have advertising permissions on all of their poles for the next five years, which is also the maintenance period, and we sell ads to ad agencies directly. So that's kind of the business model. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So this is very interesting. So it seems that your that your company pretty much grew very very organically as the word started spreading about you. People who were interested started reaching out to you and that's how you built up your team. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. 
So you shared in the beginning that there can be sort of that when you were talking about physical risk and you were sharing that, you know, how there can actually be risk involved, real risk to your body, bodily harm, right? So can you share some stories like, you know, what are the kind of challenges you faced as you went about setting up Prajwal Bharat? <laughs> there are so many. Uh, and, and, I, I can actually speak about one interesting deal that I had. So... Let's say you're cutting a deal, right, as a, as a business guy, right? Hmm. Uh, typically, what you're used to is maybe, you know, going to a bar or maybe going to a hotel or maybe <laughs> going to a restaurant and hmm. then sitting over there and having this business discussion, right? Hmm. So, I cut a deal, for example, in, uh, in the middle of nowhere, right? Uh, it was a small kind of uh, dhaba. Right. Uh, that was the best option that there was. There was no light to speak of, and I I couldn't even uh, see the face in the you know <laughs> my customer's face over there, right? So and it's a good problem we're, we're going, to solve, we're right? Going there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know it, it is it is <laughs> very interesting because you're just like in your head trying to you know stop thinking about how filthy the place is, <laughs> uh, how filthy the people is. Uh, whether you should even drink the water which is being served or not yeah and it it was really funny because he he when the person sitting in front of me also is of the same opinion and he's the same mindset right he's like yeah this is the worst place to do a business but you know we have to do it this is the yeah. best thing yeah, yeah. so we are in the middle of the conversation right and uh, suddenly <laughs> the, the roof kind of caves in a little bit and a huge rat falls oh down. Oh my god! People in front of us, oh. <laughs> and then scampers away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, it, it, you know, it, there were so many of such weird places that we had to go in and just be there and do the deal, right? It, it, there, were, there were these interesting times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, would you say that this is sort of reflective of the reality of the bulk of social enterprises because you are trying to create? impact at a very grassroots level i wouldn't say i wouldn't i wouldn't uh, make the mistake of generalizing anything because it's very it's very personal as well it's based on the entrepreneur right because somebody would just say my skill set is in, into building a product and he would never go down on the streets trying to cut deals right hmm. uh, whereas on the other hand i knew there was no market per se and i needed to be at the forefront creating this market which never existed right. uh, i mean people never thought they would make money of selling lights in villages right yeah. to gram panchayats that too specifically uh, you know i sort of wanted to do it i had the idea i had that urge to do it i guess and that explains and that sort of justifies for all of the problems that come on the way so lights and everything included okay all right and so let's get to understanding some of the more day-to-day aspects of your, I guess, life as an entrepreneur. Uh, what are the kind of problems that someone in your position would be dealing with on a day-to-day basis? So the first part is usually what I already described, you know, it's a lot of uncertainty and you don't know what's going on. The real entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurial experience sort of kicks in after you have an office and you hire people, right? It's a, it's a very different uh, zone that you get into. So your day would end up being so uh, you know let's say you're we've hired say 10 employees and then you're trying to go to the office and trying to uh, see how it goes like right so usually there, there has to be somebody who's doing an admin kind of a role right mm-hmm. so you're helping train them so I, I think my my day used to be divided between training the administrative part training the marketing employees every weekend so training becomes a big issue at the same time, funnily enough, human resources it becomes a big kind of headache for you. So six months down the line, I used to you know, sit down like a father to two children fighting with each other. And those were two, my, two of my employees, right? One guy saying that, you know, hey, this guy, you know, takes took my customer away. And then, you know, he's operating in my area. And then, you know, they're just fighting. And then you're there as an adult trying to, you know, make peace between them. So it, 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 it really sort of takes a lot on you. So like, for example, suddenly all of the wiremen who you're relying on would together come and say, and you know, hey, we are not going to work this week because somebody has 
some marketing employee has done some mm. injustice to <laughs> one of the YML. Yeah. And, and all of these come out of the blue. Especially when your uh, focus is then, you start very quickly thinking about, all right, you know, sh- should I worry about these issues? Should I just hire somebody to just take care of them? And then should I just focus on the revenue aspect, right? Should I just focus on the top line? Thinking about how many more villages I should add in, for example. But there's no way you can escape HR issues in a startup, right? It has to be a flat structure. I mean, I would be very surprised if a startup is going out with a hierarchy. I mean, for three years, we had every single employee call me mm. as in they were free to call me and they did. And all employees would sort of bypass any hierarchy you try to put in anyway. As and when the company grows a little big and then experience has been developed by the people who have been with you for the, for the last three years, there's a chance that you can start putting up a hierarchy. But the... The problem is that when you've hired these people, you've hired them for a different purpose. So when the growth comes in place, so that's why I'm saying after a few years, when the systems and processes are in place, then you would kind of come and say, you know, we need train management. And that's when you would hire somebody who has those skill sets, who knows Uh how it's done. That makes sense. And yeah, so so that's kind of going back to my hiring aspect. But a day on the entrepreneur's life, and a day, mind you, would be 24 hours and not yeah. an eight-hour day. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, would be everything of these aspects. You know, I had employees calling me at 2 a.m. in the night because they were on the way and they were just out of cash and they didn't know what to do. So it's 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 a lot of uncertainty. Uh, you know, I had all my weekends. I, I, I don't remember taking a weekend off in the last four years or, you know, yeah. even having a weekend to myself without my phone ringing at least uh, at least 10 times during the day. Mm-hmm. So it could be an annoyed customer. It could be a, an annoyed employee. And it just boils down to managing a lot of these expectations. And for you to build your build the business or for you to focus on the growth, the finances, taxation, all of those issues, you would deal with them. And those would be forming, say, 20, 30% of your time. Everything else is your own team and your customer, right? How you Mm -hmm. handle them, how you keep them inspired every single day coming in, coming out. So that's kind of how it would be. Sounds like a lot of firefighting also. And so, I mean, I I guess what you're also saying is that that as an entrepreneur, whether you're working on a social venture or not, you're pretty much working nonstop. Like it doesn't sound like you ever took a break. It's not like okay, this one day. So it is. It it is. uh, So I, I would say, the best part about entrepreneurship is you have a choice. So unlike, let's say, if I were in a job, for example, I was able to take a week off for uh, the birth of my child, right? Right. When my my son was being born, uh, so I, I was able to take that week off, and I did it without any problems per se. Uh, without you know uh, even annoying my employees or my there was no boss to begin with <laughs> but on the other hand uh, paternity, uh, paternity leaves uh, for example which are very like closely governed are there for a week maybe right yeah. and then uh, it, it's it's a very different thing so i i was able to just you know decide one fine day i'm just like too tired and i just need a vacation and i and it's like went away for 15 days for example and it's completely on me it's the flexibility of doing this is the real big benefit of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, let's say if my kid grows up and he has some some competition in the school, which is at two in the afternoon, I can actually leave work and go there yeah. and be there and enjoy that moment. Yeah, with him. yeah no, this is I a great that's, point. That's, yeah. that's... No, no, I, no I, I, I agree. This is a great point. You are the master of your time as an entrepreneur, which is the big one of the biggest, biggest advantages which you don't have if you're working in a regular corporate job. Also, I think it'll be very interesting to hear, like in your mind, what are the some of the key highlights of this whole journey, right? What are some of the key moments that come to your mind as you think back on your last four years? Um, highlights in terms of business as in milestones we achieved, are you saying, or yeah, personally? Like, either way, actually, it'll be interesting to hear either way. So as far as the business is concerned, your milestones sort of end up being in two ways, right? In case of a social entrepreneur, there's a third aspect of social impact, but otherwise it's your how many employees and then what is the revenue like? Hmm. And if you're in focusing on organic growth, 
uh, you'd be happy when the you know the team size is going over 15 employees that's a big milestone in my opinion 15 employees is a small company doing a great job your revenues if they are crossing say about $100,000 mm. to $200,000 as a social uh, enterprise i think you're doing fairly well and that's a very good validation of the market that you're in so that's a great milestone yeah. after that it's it's uh, you know more or less about the growth that will happen from there on for me personally it's been an amazing journey a lot of the education that happens a lot of the skills that you pick up in business school or on the job are very limited as an entrepreneur i had to wear so many different hats you can't be the same guy every single time and that's a big challenge you uh, you can't be a snobbish guy a snobbish boss and you know just like refuse to give leave to your employees no you have to be very empathetic to your employee their problems their family so, you know because they would tell that to you and then you, you, there is a certain there's a very unique sense of responsibility that you suddenly start having because your employee no matter how pain he is Mm. he owes something to you and you owe something to him and that is a very unique feeling which i never got mm. in any of my jobs before That's and right. nobody at business school taught me <laughs> how to handle that yeah. um no, and and, and it's it's a, it's a very satisfying experience in in those senses you know you know you would take that moment out to spend time with your employee family or vice versa and that relationship building is is really really important at least as far as a startup level is concerned yeah yeah i mean can you share an example of an experience or a project that really stands out in your mind i think uh, there was one village uh, for example uh, which went completely on led street lights so before uh, they came to us there was literally no light to speak of and it was all driven by the local politics actually and it, it was very surprising because this is a change which has happened in 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 india in the last uh, you know 5 to 6 years the the leadership in villages is young and they really want to do something which is for the village unlike you know just to fill their own pocket which is a very different attitude and they come to us saying that you know, hey we want to be the first village in our area in our district which is going on all led lights saving this much amount of energy and that was a big surprise for us and so we actually went at lengths to make it happen mm. you know so we unlike other customers we actually gave them credit because they did not have finances and we let them pay across 5 years for example ah, I see, I see. um and this is this is not what a normal business would have done yeah. uh, even for us it was very tough to be internally healthy as far as finances are concerned but the fact that you know we were able to do it because of this relationship that we have with our customer was a big feather in the hat i'll also talk a little bit about uh, the pride because of the of the employees again right because it it boils down to that it was monsoons then and it's it's very it's it's it, it is a physical risk for my employees to climb a pole and put out a light when it's raining right um That's you nice. need to have a lot of safety in place and when you're on the pole anything could happen there's winds blowing but they did it they pulled it off because they knew how important this was for the people for the customer for the employee for, for the company and there was a timeline to which they adhered to so all of the wiremen in fact in the company all of the electrical wiremen which we had employed it's the company really really runs on them and project like this a village which is going entirely on leds it's such a proud moment because you can actually see a skyline of this really <laughs> well lit village from yeah. far away i mean it's, it's situated at the base of small hillock and it's very pretty and that is a very long term impact everybody is going by the highway notices the villages and says hey what's that right and it's it's something that you've done there long term forever yeah and that village is never going to see the darkness again yeah so it's a very it's a very proud moment for everybody involved in the project yeah No oh, this is very inspiring stuff man and you know what makes it so hard is like how old are you 
<laughs> I'm 28 now. I know. I think everyone else should be embarrassed listening to this. Like, what are we doing with our lives? But anyway, but this is very inspiring. Very inspiring. So, in your opinion, what do you think are the most interesting aspects of working as a social entrepreneur? I'm going to try and not repeat what I've already said before <laughs> because I think yeah. uh, those still count as being social entrepreneur and it kind of drives to the satisfaction. But so, if I were to ask myself you know what are the highlights of being a social entrepreneur i think so it boils down to this right the reason why i started the company was i wanted to create a certain social impact i had this problem in mind street lights i went in and tried to solve it right one or two years later that stopped mattering to me which was very weird as a social entrepreneur what i started to really really think about was my employees Uh, this is a very different mindset hmm. this is a very different uh, way of looking at things right because what is going to happen let's say at the end of year 2 if your financials are really terrible you have not done a good job if your social impact metrics are not that great either hmm. what you would do at the end of year 2 is logically say shut the company down right what happens if you shut the company down you are really putting all those people who have trusted in you out of job right now this is a very very important and responsible moment for you right and at that point it stops because maybe can move on any other metric except for you know keeping the job of your own employees because they have put so much trust in you and they are they are doing what you've trained them to do to earn a living and this more than anything else is a really really satisfying or a highlight of being a social entrepreneur now i would go a step ahead and say that this is the satisfying part about entrepreneurship in general but in today's world when we build companies there are not many people who would think about it in this way and what social entrepreneurship bootstrapping building a business from the ground does is gives you this perspective this unique perspective that employees matter to you more than you matter to them kind of thing right yeah so now this 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 makes a lot of sense and it's interesting to hear that right because there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are very very mission driven and they they tend to stay mission driven throughout but what you're saying is that at least in your case there was a little bit of a turnaround somewhere in the middle of the journey where for you the employees became very important yes yeah that is true and i i i would imagine every business who starts doing well at certain point is then it's just about the employees then because mm-hmm. they are the heart and soul of the company right. and you know it's 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 an interlocking cycle yeah. there yeah i mean what would you say is the reason why prajwal bharat actually became successful because i, I mean I, i don't know what the exact statistic is but most startups fail right so what allowed you to become successful so two things for i mean i think the both of these things would be going back to what i've already said but i mean it's worth repeating them because i think that is the real answer in my opinion first is as an entrepreneur your leadership your initiative your desperation if you're not desperate enough there's no success coming your way second is the need problem it should exist mm-hmm. it should exist your customers will tell you it if there is a customer who wants something who is willing to pay for a product or service and there is nobody else to do it and you are the only one doing it then you have a success story written out for you right there let's say someone is listening to your podcast and they are considering starting some sort of social venture what would be your advice to them in terms of what is the best way to start let's say right now they are just at an idea stage what's the best way to start start doing it best way to start is to start doing it go to your customer ask them if they need if the need is there ask them if if, if there's the problem exists and uh, ask them if they'll be willing for they they'll be willing to give an opportunity to that person to help him solve it but i i can't stress this point more if you're thinking about doing it nothing is achieved by thinking and nothing is achieved by putting things on paper and on boards the only way to actually make things or build things is 
to go on the ground and start doing it so yeah yeah no i, I think that's what that would be my advice yeah I, i think that's a great way to end the podcast just one last thing right uh, i i think in today's times there is a lot of interest in entrepreneurship but there are many people who hesitate for whatever reason they they might not be willing to take the risk or they they want to take the risk but something or the other is stopping them so what would be your message to everyone because as you said there are a lot of problems that are just sitting out there waiting to be solved what would be your pitch to them i would say there's no harm in trying is there a risk associated with being an entrepreneur of course there is will you be better off being a, in a job per se yes of course you'll be better off in what respect well until your boss fires you you're better off right <laughs> uh but there's no downside in trying it the worst thing would be that you know you'll be broke but i'll be really really confident that you'll get a much better job if you show to your next employer that you know you have hey you went down you had initiative and you did it so i would just tell them just go ahead and try it there's no downside to trying it out mm-hmm. see if it fits see what you get out of it and you'll be a much better person is what i'll definitely promise them yep all right thank you so much anurag this was this is really good and actually uh it sounds cliche but almost inspiring thank you so much this was very good thank you so much sonali for uh, having me over here Yeah, absolutely and I hope that a number of people are inspired to start something after listening to your podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. So that was Anuj with a very engaging and inspiring account of the life of a social entrepreneur and the kind of impact you can create if you choose to work in this field. and i have to say if any of you is even remotely interested in starting a company in creating things in making things in leaving something of long lasting value behind you then this sounds like a field that would be worth exploring for some time i hope you found today's discussion helpful of course if you have any questions for anuj or for me you can always email us at learn educate discover at gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter and then tweet at us our twitter handle is at led underscore curator that's at led underscore c-u-r-a-t-o-r as always show notes from today's episode will be posted to our blog you can find our blog at medium.com forward slash at led underscore curator If you enjoy what we are doing and if you find our podcast helpful and useful you can subscribe to the show uh you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher we are available on all three simply search for learn educate discover and you'll find us of course while you're at it if you really do like what we are doing leave us a review it only takes 5 minutes and you've no idea how happy it makes me so leave a review if you really like the show So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. Until the next one, take care and be well.